The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa. Welcome to a special live record episode of Business is Boring, where we look at all the ways business can be anything but. We're here today at the Spark Building to talk about setting the right sustainability strategy for your business and looking at all different sizes of businesses. We're joined by Leela Gantman, Corporate Relations and Sustainability Director at Spark New Zealand, and Rachel Brown, CEO at the Sustainable Business Network. We'll be talking through the hows, whys, examples and actions around business sustainability. Please join me in welcoming our guests. Hey, so thank you so much for being here uh, and thank you very much to our audience for being here today. So first up, let's meet you two and maybe we'll start with you, Rachel. Tell us a little bit about the SBN, Sustainable Business Network, and what you get up to. Absolutely. Kia ora, everyone. Um, kia ora, Simon. Kia ora, Leila. Kia ora. Uh, so Sustainable Business Network is an organisation that's set up as a social enterprise. We were set up, or I set us up, in 2002, which is a fairly long time ago, like something like 22 years ago now. And we set the organisation up at a time where that whole convergence of environmental and social issues were coming together and people were trying to understand how you did both of those things. So that's really when the SBN started. We have changed over all those years. We've done different things. We've found different models. We've tried different approaches. But the one we're sitting on at the moment is to go, how do we move the business community into a world that's really addressing what we call a circular economy? And a circular economy is a little complex, but its most simple way of describing it is to talk about massively reducing emissions, designing out waste, and regenerating nature. And that's what we focus on. So we do that by working with a whole stack of different organisations with a big focus on trying to make it easier for small and medium-sized businesses to act. There's a lot of people wanting to play, but not enough people know what to do and not enough people are acting. So that's kind of us. And how did you come to be interested in that kind of work and sustainability as 22 years ago? That would have been something that was far more of a push to get people thinking about, right? You're understating that. Yes, it was. Uh, yep, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. And before that, I'd set up the Auckland Environmental Business Network. So that was like five years earlier. So that was even harder. But um, yeah, I did that because I was really lucky and I grew up in uh, Tamaki Makoto. I grew up uh, on the shores of a place called Hawak. I don't know if anyone knows Hawak. Um, and it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, we were fairly well off as a, as, a, as a group of people that lived in that region. Uh, I studied there, I went to university in Auckland and then I went overseas and that was the first time that I'd ever seen pollution and poverty at a scale that was a complete shock 
to this little kid from Howick. And I just, I saw that and I saw big industries spewing chemicals into waterways, into the, into the environment. I saw families trying to bring up their kids in the middle of blimmin', you know, traffic islands. I found it really distressing. Uh, and then I went, after I did about three and a half years, I lived in places like London where you'd walk through the streets in these so-called really developed nations and your collar would be so filthy by the end of the day that I'd go, what the heck is this planet doing? From clean green New Zealand, I went over to that. So I came back and I was like, I don't want to be part of that. I want to be part of creating a future that's much more egalitarian, that cares for planetary systems, all of that kind of stuff. So I did some more study. I discovered this thing called sustainability and I discovered the power of business. Um, I like government, I like councils, but I think business is where the energy is at and they can do things really fast and they can resource and do things really well. So, yeah, yeah I started SBN. Of- and how about you? How did you come to be interested in the space of sustainability? It wasn't anything as exciting as that. <laughs> I think I, um, I kind of fell into it, to be honest. So I look after corporate relations and sustainability. So corporate relations being communications, all of the kind of financial market comms, um, and I guess managing reputation is the easiest way to describe it. Um, So that's what I studied, that's what I started in. And then when I was working um, in Australia at Lion, the the big brewer, um, I got given sustainability because back then it, you know, was kind of an emerging thing. Um, Responsible drinking was not so much of an emerging thing, but the broader concept of sustainability as it is known today was very much emerging. So they kind of just put it in my area and said, you know, go and make something of it. Um, So I started learning about it on the job, really, um, and just trying to learn from other businesses and other people who were practicing sustainability. But um, I actually think it makes complete sense to sit in a role like mine, because one of the big frustrations, if you speak to someone who's trying to build and protect a reputation, is that the only way you do that is through the way your business behaves, right? So it doesn't actually happen through new ad campaigns or, you know, fancy logos or whatever else it happens to be. It's actually you build trust by doing what you say you will and doing the right thing. And that is what sustainability is. So to me, they're two kind of sides of the same coin. If we have a good strategy for sustainability, if we live up to that, we are building our reputation. We are protecting our reputation. So, yeah, okay. yeah. And you get a reputation for what you've done and what you do rather than what you say, Same. right? And yeah. then, yeah. And, and working with big companies mm. like Spark or like Lion, mm. there's an enormous amount of impact that can be made in those spaces. You know, small yep. changes at scale add up a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I completely agree with what you say, Rachel, that business is where it's at for sustainability because... You know, you need governments uh, to set the clear regulatory frameworks and you need certainty to invest. But businesses are the ones that invest, not governments, not necessarily. Um, You know, through Climate Leaders Coalition that Spark is part of, we know that there's, you know, I think it's over $9 billion worth of investment that the members have planned in climate mitigation or adaptation. Businesses are great at managing risk and they're great at innovating to find new ways to do things. So if the settings are right, then there's huge opportunity for businesses to do more. 
And over the years, as I imagine that there weren't kind of sustainability directors, Rachel, of big listed companies and stuff when you got going, how's the environment changed? And what have you seen uh, that's kind of really positive in the space? Yep, when I started, a sustainability director was just an idea. Um, I don't, it, it took a long time before these folks arrived. Um, as a matter of fact, the whole sustainability profession has really turned into a profession since I started in this space. Um, and that's all good stuff. But there's been lots and lots and lots of changes in that time. You know, when we first started, we used to talk to people, most important thing you can do is switch off your light switches before you leave the room. And that was a big conversation for a long time. You know, this, these minor changes to energy. And the whole conversation has changed much now into things like how do you work, what are you doing, what's the products and services that you make, how you're thinking about it all the way through the life cycle, what are you doing with your procurement, like all of that conversation has completely changed. And the awareness has gone from, you know, think about climate change, it's gone from maybe one day we're going to feel the effects of climate change to going, holy shit, we're in the middle of some of the biggest storms that we've ever seen and the frequency of these storms are coming at us at a rate that we never thought we'd have to deal with and our systems are not coping. So that's all changed. And then we've got um, technology coming at us at a pace and we're challenged by it. We don't really know how to manage the growth of tech, how to use AI, efficient, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but it's also very useful, or it could be. So it's got the dark side, but it's got the good side coming. Um, data has become really important. Impact which I think Layla was just talking about, like how do you demonstrate your strategy in terms of the impact and the positive impact that you can have in community, on people and your organisations, on planetary systems and stuff. So all of those things have changed and the government has changed and the government's just recently changed. And government do um, have a really important role to play in not just setting the settings, but thinking about investment into the long term, not just the short term. Uh, we, we let to see uh, what this current government is going to be doing in this space. Um, but, you know, we have seen attempts at getting things um, funded at, at a large scale. Businesses on their own really can't get that stuff happening. We need business and government to, pl to play together. We need communities to act. So, yeah, all of those things are changing. We just haven't quite got the, the connections across all of them working well yet. But that'll come. Ah, and we had a chat about, you know, setting the right sustainability strategy for different sizes of business. And so as a first kind of thing there, it'd be really interesting to hear from both of you what your sustainability strategies look like at a top level for very different sizes of uh, organisation. <laughs> Not just different sizes, but also we're a for-purpose organisation mm, yeah. and you guys, yeah, so... Yeah, go for purpose and profit. That's yeah. Smart. So our sustainability strategy is part of our business strategy. So I think that's an important first mention because I've seen it evolve over the years where sustainability strategies used to be kind of unique and separate. You'd have it over here. It had its own sustainability report. And in many ways, it was kind of like, this is all the stuff we do to make up for business that we do over here. Mm. So this is all the profit we make and then we make up for it by giving this charity like two million bucks a year. Um, and that was as sophisticated as it got. Um, whereas now we have sustainability strategy is just integrated into core business strategy. And that's how you make sure it gets resourced um, and prioritised within 
a big system and a big business that's there to deliver certain products or services. So for Spark, we have um, three clear focus areas. The first is more in the opportunity space. It's all of the things you see around you in the room, actually. It's around how we support Aotearoa's economic transformation. So we know that as a country, we have a productivity issue, we have all these sustainability issues coming um, towards us, and we know technology has a huge role to play in providing solutions. So for a business like Spark, the investments that we're making in digital infrastructure, like 5G or data centres or subsea cables or satellite or rural connectivity is you know, a big underpinner of a digital economy. These new technologies like AI and IoT, um, particularly AI, which is emerging really rapidly, pretty much everything, if you walk around the room later, has a sustainability linkage to it. Our IoT business, over half our revenues are connected to solutions that improve sustainability for businesses. So that is a strategic business focus that will have a dual benefit. It'll benefit Spark, obviously, commercially. It's going to benefit our customers in the kinds of solutions it delivers. Um, digital equity is our second big focus. Um, it's, we've got about one in five New Zealanders right now who can't participate in the digital world. That's like quite an astounding number, really, if you think of the population. So some people can't afford to access, some people don't know how, some people are afraid of technology. There's a lot of different nuanced reasons, um, community by community, really. Um, but that's a big role for us to play. So we look at things like subsidised broadband products or investments through Spark Foundation into community-led um, co-popper that is addressing those issues. And then the last area of focus is more of a um, getting your own house in order type focus. So Spark, what's our you know, um, emissions reduction plan? How are we minimising waste? We rely on a big global tech supply chain to deliver our products. So how are we ensuring that we're doing everything we can to remove modern slavery? Those kinds of things. So, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting uh, where you mentioned the role of things like IoT for mm. sustainability. Mm. Uh, and there's a number of really great startups that are doing things like measuring the amount of water that farmers and growers are using. And it's kind of wild to think that until very recently, they just didn't know, yeah. right? Yeah, or they had to do it manually. Like we have a great case study of um, the Barna farm. Um, they installed IoT equipment to yeah track water usage and water quality um, and I think where they started they used to just it would be written in books mm -hmm. you know and then in terms of if you think of passing on through a generation of a farming family how hard it is to pass on that knowledge but once it's all the data is captured and then it's synthesized and just giving you the insights then you can scale that really quickly and effectively. Mm. And it's really interesting to hear you talk as well about sustainability being about equity as well mm. and access. Mm. Yeah, equity is definitely a big one. I think personally, from what I see around New Zealand, I think, you know, we have unacceptable levels of inequality for such a rich and, you know, beautiful country, like the country you described growing up. I, I did not grow up here. You can't tell from my accent. I grew up in Sydney, but, um, you know, I, th I see this as an incredibly lucky country, but then I also see that it has, 
you know, this huge divide in the haves and the have-nots. And the cool thing about technology is it can remove some of those have and have-nots, assuming people have access to it. Um, so, you know, if you're in a geographically um, isolated area, you can still work if you, um, you know, have flexible working policies and you have access to technology. Um, and we saw firsthand during COVID. So I joined six weeks before the first lockdown, <laughs> which was like baptism by fire well, into Spark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Welcome. welcome. Yeah. Every single New Zealander needs your services now. Um, so that was quite extreme. But um, when I joined, we have a not-for-profit broadband product called Skinny Jump. So without going into all the detail, you can access it for as little as $5 a month. So for some people who are literally choosing between, can I feed the family or give the kids broadband for the homework, you know, this is a really great service. And when I joined, it was about four and a half thousand people using it. And we just clicked over 29,000. You know, the, the rise in that from COVID was just huge. Um, and so it really showed that when there's no other option, how big that need is. So yeah, equity has to be a really big focus, particularly when you consider the role technology will play in helping us to decarbonise. That means more tech roles, more kind of weightless industries, less manual labour, those kinds of transitions have big social justice issues connected to them, which I'm sure you would see a lot, Rachel, through mm. your work. Yeah, yeah e equity and access. And I imagine your kind of sustainability uh, strategy is something that the markets have to um, know about mm. and as part of the ESG reporting and um, uh, scrutiny that's put on big companies. So quite a different kind of, and we might jump into that in a moment about what that means for a business, but quite a different level of um, what you have to produce versus most small businesses, right, Rachel? Mm. Yeah, and, and small businesses are slightly different again from an organisation like ours, which is just set up for a social and environmental purpose, right? Um, but for us, our whole mission is to how do we make it easier for other people to participate, whether they're SMEs, government agencies, councils, large corporates, like we all have to learn to work on this stuff together. And those issues of inequality, which I really want to pick up on, I was pleased you talked about that. Um, when I was a kid, inequality really wasn't so clear in New Zealand. You know, you, you did have kids could get to schools, they could have the same kind of access, it really doesn't feel like that anymore. Um, and it is something that we've just allowed to happen and it isn't something that we should continue to allow to happen. So I'm really glad that uh, bigger organisations are thinking about how we can play. So for SBN, completely different. We're always looking at what's the impact that we can have through the work that we do. Uh, the financial stuff comes second. So for us, the top thing is how do we make change happen at scale and involve as many people as we can? We have this thing called a, a theory of change and that kind of informs our strategy. So then we've got a bunch of ways of working. One of the ones is that we have a network of what we call friends and they're people that we have a critical friend relationship with. So we want to help them be as good as they can be and support them through the stuff that we would look at and go, I'm not sure that that's great. Maybe you need to think about another way of talking about something. So there's a lot of things that go on in there. There's a lot of what we would kind of call action labs, which people come together to talk about critical things and levers for change on scale. So we do a lot of that with our network. Then we have another group of people that we work with and we work really well with. Um, and those are our partners. We work with Spark, actually, quite regularly. 
Hey, which is great. Um, and this is all about how do we create tools and resources that we can open source and let anyone use. So we try not to have things with a charge because as soon as for an SME, you have to charge for things, it becomes really hard. I think we're going to talk a little bit later about the Climate Action Toolbox, which is one thing that's been really successful. So that's really important is getting those partnerships up and co-creating tools and resources. And that's really good fun and really challenging. Um, and then the other thing that we do is we're on a mission to teach as many people about sustainability right across from how do you do your communications well, how do you market things without getting into trouble, how to use procurement, what do you do about climate, what's happening with scope three emissions, you know, as much of that stuff as we can to really help people, anyone can access our learning really easy and then lots and lots of downloadable free just download of our website resources and the last thing that we do and with I think this is extremely important um, is the work that we do around donating to nature because um, when I was a kid you could still drink from many of our waterways in this country you probably can't now most of our waterways are not safe enough to drink from as a matter of fact a few years ago one of our Members of Parliament said we shouldn't be letting our animals swim in a lot of our waterways anymore because we just weren't clear that they were clean anymore. So we have this program of donating to nature-based programs which are led by community iwi and hapu organisations to try and increase the funding for the people who are actually doing the mahi on the, the land at scale and pace. And believe it or not, it's been really hard to do this since COVID because people are finding it hard to work out where to put their investment. Before COVID, it was really easy. Now it's feeling much harder, but it's so urgent, more urgent than it was before, and we need that to change. So those are kind of our key strategy points. Yeah, wow. And the way that we treat our water, I think, is going to be, they'll look back in the future. You know, you look back at the future at things people did in past times, you go, oh, what were they up to? And the way that we treat our water is going to be the biggest uh, question anyone has about us, I think. And, and just like to wrap up um, this part here, uh, the first part of our chat, I think the point that you've both made about a real sustainability strategy is about how you can bring into your business practice things that mean that you will produce fewer negative effects and by the way you work, create more positive effects, as opposed to that kind of old approach of it, which might have been, how do we mitigate the, the damage that we're doing? And I think that's like a really critical thing that any size business can totally pick up on, right? Like you, you, whatever you're doing, if you start thinking, what, what can we do to, to improve everything rather than just fix our problems? What have been some really good examples or quick wins that you've both seen in businesses that you work with where, where businesses have done that to good effect? Hmm. I've got thousands of examples, <laughs> yeah. but I won't give you all thousands of them. But mm. I think, the, like, I'm going to do a real common one, and then I just want to shine a light on a company that I just have been super impressed with. But um, a really common one that engages people in their personal lives and their work lives is to do something around transport. Like, if you look at New Zealand's climate emissions, most of them are transport or energy-based, so doing something around that is cool. And the thing is... It's such a great engagement because you can let people do the stuff that they want to do. You know, they might upgrade a car or go electric. They might sell a car, enjoy a car share scheme. They might switch modes one day a week. They might do, you know, like there's just 
endless ways people can play. And then there's really cool things that you can join. You know, there's this Auckland sort of cycling challenge that comes up in February and that's a heap of fun and you can compete against other organisations and they kindly don't make you compete against large organisations if you've only got a small number of people. So you're kind of competing against like organisations. So there's, it's, for me, there's like start with something that's practical that everyone can participate in and good grief, we might even change some people's behaviours as a result and you feel great about it. I just really want to acknowledge this fantastic leadership in the, um, the finance space by a company called Pathfinder and they, I want to highlight them because they are great. Yeah, they are amazing. And the guy who set that up didn't set it up that long ago, like maybe five or six years ago. And when he was setting it up, he decided he wanted to be brave and do something really differently from other organisations that were kind of slowly changing their funds to be better than they were before. And he decided he was going to go at what are the best kinds of funds that people can put their money in at the top end. So he was going to be way braver than everyone else. And as a result, this guy is swooping up all the awards in the finance space. He's doing really well on returns for those of us who are investing in him, mm -hmm. eh? Yeah, no, it is. It's really impressive. Feels yeah. good. Yeah. You feel like you're doing the right thing, investing your money, getting a return from it, yep. in your KiwiSaver format. Yeah, anyway, absolutely. Love them. I mean, I think the level of interest from investors has increased exponentially, even in my time at Spark, you know, as a sustainability director, you'd usually get a few queries a year that you had to answer for your investors. But now I feel like we are meeting them, you know, every month, every second month with each investor will have a particular area that they have significant interest in. You know, our Australian investors are very heavily focused on modern slavery because of the regulatory environment there, but it's really varied and it's really encouraging to see because I think the more that investors care about it, the more it's on the table at the C-suite, at the board, you know, the more skin in the game your directors, your CEO, your um, leadership team needs to have to understand it as well. Yeah. That's fascinating. And then is that something where you then need to, you know, that great, great expression, what gets um, measured gets managed, right? And so if people are uh, having a scorecard on these things, then does that help as a sustainability director to prioritise the work and yeah. to, to get evidence that it's going well. Yeah, I think absolutely. In a corporate environment, resource allocation is number one for everything. You always have more things you want to do as a business than you can do. Um, at Spark, we operate agile. So we basically run on quarterly cadence. So each quarter we set the company targets and everyone then goes off and organises their lives around those targets that are set. Um, when I first joined Spark, they were all um, commercial. They now have sustainability every quarter as well as reoccurring investment in people and a few other things that are kind of your foundational elements. So that means that all our people see that sustainability is a key business priority and they are also kind of permitted to allocate resource against it because it has been established that way. Whereas I think in the past it was more you had to kind of beg, borrow and steal to get people to focus on these things that for a long time were considered a nice to do mm. rather than kind of core business. 
Um, we also have sustainability metrics integrated into things like short and long-term incentives, which does tend to get a bit of focus on it too. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, nice that the environment and world is moving, you know, in general from a nice to have for business to something pretty critical, right? And we'll be back in a moment to talk strategies for different kinds of businesses, practical tools, best-in-class examples, and how people can advance sustainability initiatives in their workplaces. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Hokimayano, welcome back to Business is Boring. We're back with Leela Gantman and Rachel Brown. Now, we're here to chat about setting the right sustainability strategy for different businesses. What are some steps people could take to actually start setting a sustainability strategy, right? Because unless you've got something that you have committed to, things just don't get prioritised, right? I'm going to have a crack at this one. Yeah. We're going to we'll bounce <laughs> yeah. off each other as go we go. How's yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So for me, I think a sustainability strategy is really important to start with basically working out what people care about. So for us, we've used this thing which is called Donut Economics Action Lab, which is basically just looking at what are the social and the environmental things that you might be currently impacting on positively or negatively. And what's really helpful about that is it helps you think about what are the ways that we can act, looking at all of those issues in a really practical way as not just an organisation of a small team of 30 people, but also as an organisation that has some impact out into the real world, into a bunch of networks of people that are also in this space. So I reckon that's probably the most effective way of starting. Some people might call that some kind of materiality piece of work. And I know for some people, materiality has no real sense. So I'm just trying to make it easy. Yeah, yeah. Do you think Not using jargon. Often? I think yeah. there's way too much sustainability jargon. So yeah. I, I agree. It's what matters most. What matters to your business, what matters to your customers or your stakeholders more broadly. And also recognising you can't boil the ocean. So if you want a sustainability strategy, you can pick 100 things and do them kind of okay, or you can pick the things that are most important and do a really good job. So, you know, it's just what comes down to any good strategy is about choice. Very, very bad sustainability to boil the ocean. And so <laughs> also. Very, very, very we're, we're already working on that. Yeah, we're doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. Trying to unboil. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, and, and sorry, to- totally get the point there. Like, it's like, yeah, if you have a goal which is to, um, you know, lower the um, temperature of the world, you're probably not going to be able to do that all by yourself, right? But being able to actually do something that's within your... And, and, and please do explain what that materiality means for anyone who might not know, because it kind of sounds like something out of, like, 
uh, art history or something, right? Yeah, yeah, so I guess we do a materiality assessment every year. Um, it doesn't change too much, but it does sometimes change a bit. And really you're assessing um, the likely impact or significance of a certain issue on your business and also, I guess, to your stakeholders. So there might be something that if it happened or that issue is of high relevance to us, but our stakeholders don't care about it. So then, you know, that's not a high materiality. But if it's of high importance to our business and to our stakeholders, then it's up in that kind of upper right quadrant and it's something that you should focus on. Um, we have seen things change over the last year for us, for example, things like generative AI. So AI ethics um, and transparency has kind of shot up to that top quadrant where it was kind of more emerging and not quite as concerning for people in the past. So these things do tend to evolve over time, but that should help you to decide what's most important, where do I start? And just to drill into that, who your stakeholder piece is, I think that's really important because often businesses will go out and start talking to um, people that they think are really important, but try and avoid the people that might be irritating for them. So yeah. <laughs> in some situations, that might be an environmental group or a social group that might be not loving some of the work that organisations are doing. But actually, the truth is, those people are the, probably the most important people that you get to talk to and really deeply understand what is it that people don't like about us. So instead of just seeking reinforcement, which is going to staff who possibly feel a bit nervous about giving you some feedback on a strategy, it's really useful to go to the people that might not um, be as beautiful about the work that you're doing. Mm. Um, and I think that's really important and often undervalued, that kind of feedback. It's, yeah. And I don't think you should fear it because it's giving you the spectrum, right? You're going to have people way over here on this spectrum, way over here on this one. Maybe your investors are over here and your environmental group is over here, for example. And your job as the professional in the business is to determine where the middle ground is. So it's actually, you know, engaging with groups on either end doesn't mean you have to go to either end. It means you need to understand that perspective and then think, what does the reasonable middle look like or what does the reasonable outcome look like taking into all those stakeholders as a whole. Mm. Yeah. And so first you work out what the most important things and most relevant things for your business are to work on. Then you engage with people to work out that you've got that right. <laughs> and then what are the next steps in terms of setting a strategy? Like uh, do you put um, you know hard metrics down or do you put um, goals that are you know what what's the best kind of approach? Yeah, so SBN does this through what we would call our impact work. So we would be going, what's the impact we can have in this space? And that's really important to try and work that out. And then how on earth are you going to measure it? And that's often difficult for any organisation because often the impact pieces that you might be having work on, whether it's, I don't know, trees planted or money made or whatever the thing is, there's often a number of different ways that are being impacted, not just one. So there's there's just different ways of capturing that information. But capturing data is really important. It's way more important than, than it used to be, particularly if you're going to be doing any kind of claims or comms around it. Um, what do you think? Mm, yeah, I think what gets measured gets done. So having targets, having the data to support that. I would say as well, though, not to allow that to prevent you from starting. So when I first joined Spark, um, Tom, who's my sustainability lead, and I kind of sat down and um, created a strategy. Um, and because it was 
new and um, some of the areas were emerging. We didn't know how to measure some of it. So the strategy we put out to the market was our ambition in these three areas. Some clearly defined ambitions, but we didn't have KPIs because some of them we didn't know how to measure. Some of them we could. Um, and so it's taken us, you know, this first three years strategy period to get the good foundations of the data, to put in place things like science-based targets and to better understand how we can deliver commitments. Now we have externally published KPIs and they're mapped to sustainable development goals and all those great things. But I guess my point is we, we, we couldn't start there, but that shouldn't prevent you from starting. And actually we were quite transparent with our stakeholders that we're still learning how to measure this. Well, we can't measure this yet, but it's still an ambition. You know? yeah, and that's super important, hey, in that you, know, you can't let perfection be the enemy of progress. And it's been really cool to see in some industries, you know, we're a small market and we're not, um, we're not the same as some of the international standards. Mm -hmm. And in some industries like fashion here, set up mindful fashion to try and right size some of those supply chain and other questions and work as a collective and all the rest of it mm -hmm. to be appropriate to this kind of level. So yeah, that, tell us about that kind of, I guess, taking people, you know, sharing where you are and where you're trying to get to and being open about that. You see, Leela, I think this is one of the things that businesses really have to put some energy into because right now um, the Commerce Commission and um, the consumers, it's, you know, and lawyers for climate change. There's a lot more people keeping an eye on businesses and the claims that they're making, particularly on larger companies. Hey, so smaller businesses are a little bit harder to track down and probably not as effective if you have a crack at a big business. So um, it's really important that you don't overstate what you're doing and you have to be super clear about what's aspiration and what you're actually being able to report on and. Aspiration, I think, is really important. Important Green hushing, which is what comes when people start getting scared, they stop talking about what they're doing, is really not useful. So understanding how to communicate what you're doing well is really, really important. And we do a lot of work in that space, trying to help businesses get really good at that communication because you get it wrong and it's costly and terrible for your brand and all those kind of things, so. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've always had a um, philosophy at Spark that it's better to do versus say, you know. Um, there was like the kind of 5G arms race back a few years ago, who's got the biggest network and who's getting it out fastest. And at the end of the day, I don't think anyone cares um, about that. What they care about is what it will do. How will it change my life? Um, why should I care? So this is, you know, kind of what's on display around you. We could go out and make bold claims about IoT and how it's going to do this or that, but just showing people what it can do practically, whether you're a small business or a big one, is far more impactful. Um, I think the other thing that we're quite careful with in sustainability is you can start to get trapped in a bit of a point scoring exercise because particularly if you're a big business, we. Um, use the Dow Jones Sustainability Index and another digital equity benchmark to kind of, I guess, assess our performance against global peers. And when you look at these questionnaires, they can start to lead you down um, paths that are not material. So there's a really good example. We have a digital inclusion benchmark. Spark ranks in the top quartile of that. That's 200 companies globally. 
like the likes of Google, Facebook. So, you know, we're quite proud that we're at that point. But within that benchmark, they um, consider initiatives that you do that help women to participate in tech, but they don't consider initiatives you do to help Indigenous communities because it just it's a European-based system and it's just not of high relevance. So the suggestion to us was, well, you could score better if you focused more on things to do with women than Māori or Pacifica. But obviously that makes no sense in a New Zealand context. So you've really got to make those choices around that's nice, but at the end of the day, measurement or benchmarking isn't everything. You still have to do what's right for your constituents. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some things as well that get, um, you know, maybe more mind share than other parts. And, you know, one thing that's very easy to land on is carbon and um, climate assessment. And that's one really important part of the picture, right? But sustainability is a lot of other measures. So if you're, um, if you're, I don't know, um, pumping a whole lot of chemicals into your stream, but you've, you know, managed to make your head office carbon neutral, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not a particularly yeah. good thing, no. but the press releases go out and you're like, oh, great, awesome, your head office is carbon neutral. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's also, I think, probably within our company's context, having the communications team and the sustainability team together is quite helpful in that regard. We're very mindful of what we say and not, um, yeah, overclaiming. In fact, there's a lot of data that flies around about the role of technology and what it can do for climate change, but all of it is international. So last year we did our own study that looked at New Zealand specifically, because we were never quite comfortable, you know, borrowing a statistics from America. I mean, it has no relevance in a New Zealand context. So you've got to be, you know, mindful of that. Hmm. Yeah. Can I just add to that thing? Mm. Because I mean, you know, for the 20-something years I've been in this space, that whole thing where companies really desperately want to tell a good news story is like, it's great if, you, if your business is um, building, is carbon neutral, or it's got a green star tick, that's great. But at the same time, businesses need to be able to talk about the genuine movement that they're making and the, the things that really matter. Like having a carbon neutral building is good for all of us. That's actually a good thing. But... If that's where they've put all their effort and they're having some terrible impact in other places, it's just such a joke. And the people now don't love that story anymore. And so we've kind of moved on. Our awareness on these things is much deeper. We're quite cynical about what a lot of corporates are doing. Um, SMEs are often really unclear about how to talk about what they're doing. So that's why I keep saying the communication space is so important. And I think we're going to see much more... Um, evidence-based requests through things like procurement, you know, like demonstrate how you're doing something in a really practical way. Tell us what your scope three emissions are. That's just one indicator. Soon it'll be tell us about what's happening in the nature space. Where do you regenerate nature? How, if you're somebody on the land, a farmer or a developer, talk to us about what you're doing to make sure that you're not stripping topsoil off or you know, that's all entering waterways. Like, talk to us about that. That's what we're interested in. And that's coming at New Zealand really fast from some of our big offshore buyers. You know, they're asking those questions now and we're sitting there kind of a little bit dumbstruck by how we actually get to communicate this stuff without getting into trouble. 
it's kind of great that what was the gold standard is now just table stakes with so much of this stuff, right? Which is really good. But it can, I guess, be bewildering for businesses too, or scary if they're like, oh, I've got to do so much. Um, like, like, to tell us a little bit about, Rachel, the Climate Action Toolbox, because the toolkit, because that is a really great way that people can, for that one sector, start to make some good steps, right? Yeah, so we deliberately created this in partnership and actually Spark are one of our partners along with BNZ and a mix of government agencies and we work a lot with a company called DNA. So it's been a neat collaboration over about five years and it sits on the biz.gov um, website. It's free, it's easy, anyone can use it. It's designed for SMEs, which is awesome because SMEs are often under-resourced and don't know what to do in this space. We know the demand is coming down for SMEs. They're going to be asked about these things at some point. So getting ready is important. Um, and it helps companies measure what they're doing because there's a carbon calculator. It helps them learn the kinds of things that businesses should be doing. And there's also a really neat way of creating an action plan. So it's just, it's brilliant actually. And the thing that I love about it, Simon, is that in the 20-something years, and hasn't been until probably the last three years, we've moved from about 200 companies using a resource that we've created to the Climate Action Toolbox, which has had now, I think, about 53,000 companies using it. That's awesome. And that just shows there's demand. People want to know what to do. They want that free and non-debatable advice. It's on a government website, so it's safe. It's got super smart people helping build it. So, you know, it's just a really useful go-to. And also, there's a lot of case studies in there. So businesses wanting to understand it's not offshore case studies. These are New Zealand case studies. They're New Zealand small businesses that are doing the kind of practices that are within the toolbox. So it's, um, I'm just super proud of it, actually. It's you great. Be. It's yeah. amazing. I mean, you know, this is an economy of small businesses. So it's one thing to help big business do the right thing, but big business should be able to help itself to a large degree. Um, but that's why we participate and support, support the program, because we have a huge amount of small business customers mm. who just do not have the same resource or time. Yeah. And we just saw this as such a valuable addition to their t their toolbox. You oh, know? we're having a little love fest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Should we talk about how much we love the spin-off as yeah. well? <laughs> <laughs> spin-off is amazing. <laughs> as, a, as a final thought for the chat today, what would be kind of, you know, we've heard some really great kind of, um, you know, themes and principles around, uh, around approaching sustainability. What would be a practical first step for someone listening to kind of get organised and get into it? I mean... I know you're going to um, spruik the tool, the toolkit as you should. I guess um, one thing I would say is go and speak to a like-minded business or they don't even have to be in the same sector, but a business that you see doing things that you want to do as well. Like every time I meet a peer in another business working in sustainability, I learn something because not one company or person has all the answers and a lot of these issues are really tricky. Um, there's heaps of grey and it's hard to kind of find the right place um, to settle. So I would say go and tap someone on the shoulder, take them out for a coffee and ask them how they did it and then figure out how that works for you. Okay, so I'm going to say join SBN of course <laughs> because yeah. we are a network of people who really care um, and that's you know, getting active is pretty much what you need to do. Learning from others is really helpful and getting going, get cracking is 
absolutely what we all should be doing. We are in an emergency. We announced this about, you know, 2020 or whenever it was, when all the government agencies, this is a climate emergency. We're just moving too slow. So we need everyone to play. We need everyone to get out there. It's a seductive space. Once you get into sustainability, it's, you never step out. So try and find working in an area that is really passionate for you. And if you can find your passion in the sustainable, whether it's people-focused, environmentally-focused, nature-based, whatever it is, find the thing that really floats your boat, get in it, and give it your best because we've got one bloody life and we have to use it really effectively and enjoy it. This is the best place to be, working in sustainability. Oh, I love it so much. And it's so great that both of you mentioned community because, you know, we're lucky to be joined by people in the community of people who care and advance this work. And it's kind of the antidote for the cynicism, right? So, you know, like uh, th th there's always fear that, you know, you're going to do something and someone will come at you for it not being perfect. But really, if you're taking steps in the right direction, that's, mm. that's, that's the very most important thing, right? Yeah. I call it psychic income. You know, like, we all want some income, but there's nothing stronger than psychic income where you just go home going, I love what I do. <laughs> this is so good. Mm. That's what you want. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to go Especially home and to some it. boring organisation who doesn't care. Hey. Absolutely. No, yeah. it's very true. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and um, everyone for being with us in the live record. Please join me in thanking Leela and Rachel. Thank you very much to you for listening and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Te Butler, the spin-off team, and the good people at Spark for having us today. Uh, if you like what we do, please do rate and leave a review. Enohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by Spark Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin Off Podcast Network.